Welcome, you're watching the online ministry of St. Augustine's Anglican Church in Varel. My name is Adam Draycott and welcome. Our sentence of scripture for the 16th of May 2021, this Sunday after Ascension, comes from Psalm 27, verses 8 and 9. It says, Lord, you have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Do not hide your face from me. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Father, help us to keep in mind that Christ our Saviour lives with you in glory and promised to remain with us until the end of time. We ask this through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen.
as we come to the, our time together and the ministry of God's Word. Our Bible readings today come from Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 to 7, Psalm 63, and Romans chapter 5, verses 12 to 21. Please take a moment to pause this video, read God's Word, and then we'll share it together in a moment. Let's pray. Our loving Father, we thank you that we can share this time of fellowship together, albeit digitally. We ask that as we open up our Bibles, as we read your word, you administer to us by your spirit that we will be fed and nurtured. We ask for your help to understand your word, to understand Romans chapter 5. We pray that you would uh, use your word to shape us and to grow us to be more like Jesus and that we would be uh, glorifying of you in every way. And we ask for your help. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Some time ago, a book was published. I wonder if you've heard of it. It's called The 100, a ranking of the most influential persons in history. Curious title. Interestingly, where do you think Jesus came on that ranking list? He came third. Who was ahead of him? Isaac Newton came second and Muhammad got first. Yep, the prophet Muhammad. Uh, of course, the Islamic world uh, got very excited about this book and they still are. Its author, his name is Michael Hart, turns out, well, the internet tells me he's a lawyer, he's an astrophysicist, he is an alien life researcher, and he is a white supremacist. That's really some kind of combination, isn't it? It's way too much for me. But it gets us thinking, who'd be on your list? Who'd be on your list if you were to rank the most influential people persons in history even if you had a top five of the most influential not the most liked or the most famous the most influential i wonder who'd be on your list is it an easy task well when we come to romans chapter 5 verse 12 there were just two two names on the list we're going to look at them today let's look at the first man we'll pick it up at verse 12 Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people because all sinned. Here is the ruin of mankind in just 12 words. Who is the first man? We know his name is Adam. Romans takes us back to Adam. Back to the start. Back to Eden. When I think of Eden and Adam and Eve, I can't help but remember my childhood and a terrible TV advertisement for a men's deodorant called Brute 33. Maybe you remember it, maybe you don't. Picture Eve. Apparently she was a buxom blonde. Some bloke is hanging out in the tree looking like the devil. And Adam, well, he's just concerned about body odour 
And the jingle of the ad goes like this. Adam and Eve used to get on well, but Eve ribbed Adam about his smell. The snake said, Adam, splash this on. And when summer came, and on it goes. And then the chorus is, where, where, where would you be without Brute 33? That's the ad. Becomes a laugh. Becomes just a joke. It's not what happened in Eden, though, is it? No way. What happened in Eden? Well, if we know the story, the true story. God told Adam and Eve... They could eat the fruit of any tree in the garden, but they were not to eat from the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the middle of the garden. Can't eat that one. Every other tree. Knock your socks off, but not that one tree. Because if they did, they would die. And of course, they did. Of all the trees, they wanted fruit from that one tree. Adam and Eve decided that they knew better. Fundamentally, that is sin. When you decide you know better, I know what's best for me, uh, whereas God, God doesn't. God doesn't decide what's good or not good. I do that. When we push God out of his rightful place, that is sin and that is rebellion. And that's what Adam and Eve did. And as a result of that, as a result of them going, no, I decide what's good for me. I'm going to eat that fruit that God told me not to. As a result of that, sin and death is unleashed on all men and women and it's spread to all men and women everywhere. And the Apostle Paul is saying here that what Adam and Eve did way back in the Garden of Eden, that's had a ripple effect that spreads to you and me, even today. Let me test that. Let me test that. Do you decide what is best for you? Do you decide what is good for you? Or does God? There it is. It answers itself, doesn't it? And at that point, we are all joined to Adam. Now, someone might say, oh, it's all Adam's fault. If only Adam hadn't. Rubbish! It presumes that we're somehow better than Adam. Or somehow purer than Adam. He only did what we do every single day. Every single day we decide we know better than God. And so all sinned. That's what Romans 5.12 reminds us. All sinned. As humans, we're good at separating ourselves as independent individuals. We separate ourselves as individuals and into different cultures and different races. Paul is saying, nah, we're all joined to this one man. He is our representative head. And now sin and death are unleashed. Verse 14, death reigns. Verse 17, Death reigns through that one man. That is somewhat influential, don't you think? Adam. Adam should be on your list. But Paul isn't only going to talk about the ruin of mankind here in this chapter. Paul is also on about our rescue. Just as ruin came through one man, 
Adam. So our rescue comes through that one man as well. Let me rephrase that. Just as our ruin came through one man, we know to be Adam, so our rescue comes through one man as well. And his name, well, we'll come to that. Verse 14, let's pick it up there. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who do not did not sin by breaking a command as Adam did, who was a pattern of the one to come. Who is the one to come? That's the question. Paul is saying Adam's the first man. And he's really just a pattern of a greater one to come after him. The pattern of the second one we know, and his name is Jesus, Jesus Christ. Now the word, now the word Adam literally means man. Oh, when I was at Bible college, I was called Dirt Man or Red Dirt Man. Uh, you've got to wonder at that point, Mum, Dad, why did you call me Adam? Really? Dirt Man, awesome. Adam's the first man. The second man, of course, is Jesus. And Romans is going to help us to see that we're all related to either one or the other. Uh, some bloke called Thomas Goodwin said something really helpful. He said, In God's sight, there are only two men. There is Adam and there is Jesus Christ. And these two men have all other men hanging on their girth straps. If you don't know what a girth strap is, it's that thing that you uh, tie around your waist to hold your jeans up. Now, Adam and Jesus, everybody holds on to either one, right? How are they the same? Well, both impact a lot of people. They're the two names on the list, remember? And you either belong to the first Adam or the second one. All right, then, well, but how are they different? Well, look at verse 15. The gift is not like the trespass. Okay, when you're thinking trespass, think Adam. The gift is not like the trespass. For if the many died by the trespass of the one man, that, yeah, Adam, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? How cool is verse 15? Adam's disobedience brought death. Jesus' obedience brings life. So here's the first thing. The work of the second Adam, Jesus, is far greater than the work of the first Adam, Adam. Here's the second thing. The work of Jesus, the second Adam, is more powerful than the work of the first Adam. Look at verse 16, if you thought verse 15 was good. Look at verse 16. Nor can the gift of God be compared with the result of one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation. But the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. Is that word justification. It brought a right standing with God, uh, um, a righteousness. Uh, you are made right. That's what justification means. You can stand before the throne of grace. 
See it again. Adam's one sin brings about death and ruin to all people. But Jesus' death brings about justification and forgiveness to millions of sinners who look to him. That's amazing. Here's the third thing why they're different. Paul says the work of the second Adam is more effective than the work of the first. So look at verse 17. For if by the trespass of the one man death reigned through that one man, how much more, see we're going to level up, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. There he is. Christ, Paul is saying that Christ gives to man, to humans, more than they lost in Adam. That's incredible. Let me say it again. Christ gives to man, humanity, more than they lost in Adam. Jesus' work is way, way superior than Adam. Adam enslaved the world to sin and death. Christ frees us from that slavery and gives us a perfect relationship with God by faith. Hallelujah. Here is the righteousness we need. Here is the right record we need, the right standing that we need. We get it from Jesus. Nothing less, nothing more. In fact, the way we receive this righteousness, how do we get it? Well, it, it parallels the way we are condemned or were condemned. Look at verse 18. Consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. For just as through the disobedience of the one man the many were made sinners, so also... Through the obedience of the one man, the many will be made righteous. Adam trespassed. He sinned or condemned. Christ, he obeys and we are all declared right. We are all justified, those who look to him. How are we condemned? The disobedience of Adam is our disobedience. Adam is our representative. It is imputed, which is a fancy word that means credited or stamped. Before we had a chance to do anything, it's true, his sin is already a debit on our account. And this is why people are condemned before sin is defined by Moses and the law. That's verses 13 to 14. His sin is already counted against us. We are all natural born sinners. There's no escaping it. There's no exception. All the law does is more accurately define and describe what that sin is. It sharpens it. But we are all natural born sinners. It's part of being born into a broken, cursed world. You might say, well, how is that fair? Well, again, I'm going to say it. Adam just did what we do every other day. We think 
you know, life is about the my way highway like it's some original invention and I'm doing what I want to do. But the, the shock is the my way highway, man, Adam was building that road long before you were born. You're just extending it. It's the same road. That's the shock. Nothing original about the my way highway. Everybody's on it. And so Adam is not our representative head for nothing. But see, see that so negatively that the way we are condemned is also a pattern for how we are justified. Because the righteousness and obedience of Christ is imputed to us now for those who look to him. Which means that that's uh, sinful nature that we get from Adam that was credited to us before we were born, Jesus comes along and it is rubbed out. It is gone. God credits our account. The debt is gone. Instead, we are credited with his right standing that only comes from Jesus, and that is all of God's grace. Where did my debits go? Where did the sin go? Where did my guilt go? Where did my records of wrong go? It is reckoned to Christ's account. Our sin is reckoned to him. And he wears it on the cross. And he dies and he pays the penalty for that. Yet his record is credited to us. His righteousness is ours. His right standing is ours. Our unrighteousness became his. Our debt, our sin, all his. Such that when God looks at the books now, he now sees the account of perfection of his son Jesus. It's kind of like a report card. I've shared this analogy before. You go to school and you look at your school reports and nobody ever has a perfect school report. You can have 100% in your HSC or whatever the score is. You're still going to have sick days. You're still going to have those moments that you didn't quite get right. Nobody gets through school perfectly. Fact. I sure didn't. And there's a good chance you didn't either. And if that symbolizes our report card before God, we all fall short. We're all in big trouble. But on the cross, Jesus' report card is perfect. It's outstanding. It's flawless. It's, he's innocent. It's pure. It's the report card you need to stand before God. And on the cross, he takes Adam's rubbish report card and he rips it up. He tears it up. He bears the punishment for that. But not only does he do that, he takes his perfect record and he gives it to me. And he says, there. That is for you, and I'll take yours, and I'll wear it on the cross. And that is all of God's grace. This is the picture we see. My unrighteousness becomes his, and his righteousness becomes mine, such that God looks at me now, and he sees someone in a right standing with him. It's that, that's it. That's it. And so we see that God's grace to us in Christ is always more than enough. Always more than enough. Look at verse 20. The law was brought in so that the trespass might increase. So, so you might be more aware. 
But where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. From the time of Adam, every man and woman has been busy in their sin. Busy ignoring God. Busy living independently of God. Thumbing their noses at him. Scoffing at him. Flipping the bird at him. You can describe rebellion any way you like. Busy pushing God away as their king and making their own decisions and paving their own path. That's what we do. Humans are so good, we build up a mountain of sin, mountain upon mountains of sin that separates us from our maker like a barrier. Someone called Spurgeon, I'll do from ages ago, said some really great things. Here's one of the things he says. He says, take that whole aggregate of believers and let each one disburden his conscience of its load of sin. What a mountain! Pile it up. It rises as high as Olympus. Believers come and lay their enormous loads in this place because the Lord has made to be laid upon him the iniquities of us all. What Alps! What Himalayas of sin! If they were only mine and yours, my brothers and sisters, what mountains of division would our sins make? But the great Christ, the free gift of God to us, when he bore our sins in his body on the tree, took all those countless sins away. Here is infinite grace to pardon your measurable sin. Not immeasurable. Measurable sin. Truly the one man's sin abounded horribly. But the one man's obedience, the obedience of the Son of God, has superabounded. Superabounded. What a great word that is. How is that? God's grace superabounded. And that is the great message of the Bible. That your sin and my sin cannot suffocate or smother God's grace somehow. We cannot outsin the grace of God. That's how good God is. These clowns that walk into ch- that, that say, "Oh, we're not going to walk into church." They don't, but they say, "Oh no, my sin is too great. The roof might fall in." Clowns, ridiculous! Your God is too small if you think that. God's grace is way bigger, and that's the answer to such silliness, isn't it? God's grace is bigger. Do you think your guilt is too much for God? You cannot. You cannot read Romans chapter 5 verses 12 on and come to that conclusion. God's grace is bigger. What a small dim view of God that people have when they believe that their sin is too great for God. No, hear it again. God's grace is bigger. Can you fathom that? It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you've done. You can be forgiven. You can be justified. You can be pardoned. You can be made right with God. That's the invitation. No matter who you are, no matter what you've done, forgiveness is on the table because God's grace abounds. It super abounds. We have an enemy that will whisper in our ears 
that our sin cannot be forgiven because it is simply too great. And, that you, and we've heard today, though, that that is a lie, that God's grace is greater than all of our sin, all of your sin, all of my sin. God grace, God's grace abounds over abounding sin. It's like the water that keeps falling and flowing, like a waterfall. Can you imagine a waterfall? Think of a waterfall. Got it? Now think Niagara. Niagara-type waterfall. As it follows and flows over itself, over and onward. It's turbulent. It's even, it's crazy. It's big. It's enormous. That is God's grace. It superabounds as it falls, as it flows. It reminds me of an old hymn. I don't know if you know it. Here are the words. Have you on the Lord believed? Still there is more to follow. Of his grace have you received? Still there's more to follow. Oh, the grace the Father shows. Still there's more to follow. Freely he his grace bestows. Still there is more to follow. More and more and more and more. Always more to follow. Oh, his matchless, boundless love. Still there's more to follow. Here is the message of these verses. Grace, God's grace superabounds over your sin and over my sin. And there is more to follow. Much more than any sin we might have. God is a God of abounding grace and love. We abound in sin, yet he is such a gracious God because his grace is always greater. God's grace is always greater. In God's sight, there are only two men. There is Adam and there is Jesus Christ. And these two men have all other men hanging on their girth straps. Who are you hanging on to? Invitation. Hang on to Jesus. My sin might be great and your sin might be great, but his grace is always greater. Amen. Spirit so